Welcome to episode 8 of HBR Talks The First 100, where we discuss the recent developments in the Biden administration and its relation to U.S. politics at large. Last week, we covered Biden's potential plans to continue work on the wall begun by Trump, Florida's recent lawsuit against the administration for halting its cruise industry due to the pandemic, the Biden administration's financial aid for Palestinians, as well as the president's decision to blacklist seven Chinese companies and labs which are thought to be developing new weapons of mass destruction. Finally, we discuss the progress on the vaccine rollout and rumors about a potential vaccine passport. Today, we're going to start by discussing Biden's decision to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, ending the forever war that has been the most costly military engagement in our country's history. Then we'll visit the recent confusion over whether the Biden administration will keep the refugee cap at Trump's prior level, a suggestion that has sparked outrage amongst Democratic lawmakers. After that, we'll pivot to foreign policy particularly the Biden administration's claims that Russian intelligence successfully obtained data on the Trump campaign. Next, we'll discuss a $1.7 billion federal investment to trace and fight COVID-19 variants, and finally turn towards the Biden administration's $39 billion plan to save the childcare industry. This week, we're going to take it in a slightly different direction and begin with a foreign policy discussion. As President Biden announced Wednesday that after 20 years of indefinite war in Afghanistan, it is, quote, time to end the forever war. Beginning from May 1st, approximately 2,500 American troops will be withdrawn with the current agenda to complete total removal by September 11th of this year. David Sanger and Michael Scheer of the New York Times write that President Biden argued that the United States had, quote, long ago accomplished its main mission of denying terrorists a haven in the country and that leaving American forces there was no longer worth the cost in blood and money. For over 10 years, the president has been staunchly spoken out against continued American military presence in Afghanistan. During a speech on Wednesday, Biden said that, quote, war in Afghanistan was never meant to be a multi-generational undertaking and that the United States, quote, went to war with clear goals and have now, quote, achieved those objectives. A successful removal of troops will be the conclusion to an agenda shared by both the Obama and Trump administration and the end to the nation's most expensive and extended military engagement. Something interesting that Sanger and Scheer of the New York Times also mentioned was the idea that Biden's withdrawal of troops and his tone in Wednesday's speech, quote, underscored what a humbling moment it was for the United States. For many years now, both the United States and its allies have proposed large-scale visions of establishing sustainable democratic systems in countries such as Afghanistan, and have invested an incredible degree of both military and financial resources in these grand plans. Sanger and Scheer said it has become amply clear that these lofty aims were either, quote, beyond the ability to the United States and its allies, or had yielded only partial or tenuous gains. The president's skepticism of American involvement in Afghanistan and his conviction that there are other more sustainable and effective methods of fostering democracy in foreign countries suggests that the administration may begin prioritizing other methods of stabilization, not only for Afghanistan, but other foreign countries. In his Wednesday speech, Biden argued that, quote, American troops shouldn't be used as a bargaining chip between warring parties in other countries. And since the killing of Osama bin Laden, the, quote, reasons for remaining in Afghanistan have become increasingly unclear. President Biden also called attention to the fact that, quote, bringing our troops home doesn't mean the end of our relationship with Afghanistan. I personally think it's pretty clear that he's trying to send a message to not only American people, but the world at large, that withdrawing troops doesn't equate giving up on establishing democracy or giving up on partnerships between the United States and foreign countries who are struggling with unstable governments. There have, however, been critics of the president, 
including several top Pentagon officials who believe that it's in the country's best interest to maintain a reasonable number of troops on the ground in Afghanistan. Another individual who was said to be disappointed with the Biden administration's recent decision is Ashraf Ghani, the president of Afghanistan himself. His public Twitter statement and his private reaction, according to the New York Times, could not have been more different. Whereas Ghani posted that he, quote, respects the U.S. decision and Afghanistan will collaborate with the Biden administration to, quote, ensure a smooth transition, reporter Sandra and Shear wrote that Ghani, quote, fears that it will embolden the Taliban and give them little to no incentive to stick to the terms of the agreement they received a year ago with Mr. Trump. Will President Biden's decision to withdraw troops prove to be an astute political decision, one that his three predecessors were unable to act on, or will it prove to be a grave mistake? Check back next week for more updates. There's been a series of changing policy promises in the White House regarding how many refugees the Biden administration is willing to invite in. Just days ago, President Biden had announced that he would be keeping the cap of refugees that former President Trump had established. However, facing what NBC News describes as, quote, fierce Democratic criticism, the administration stated on Friday afternoon that there had been a miscommunication and that by mid-May, there would be an increased number of refugees eligible to seek asylum in the United States. Many are calling attention to the fact that in February, the president had promised to raise a refugee limit from 15,000 to 62,500 in 2020 alone. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki has stated that there has been, quote, some confusion surrounding the prior announcement of maintaining the Trump administration's refugee cap. Psaki has said that as a result of the, quote, decimated refugee admissions program we inherited, the original ambition of accepting 62,500 refugees seems rather unlikely. Although she has promised that President Biden will reassess and announce a new refugee cap by the 15th of May. Saki said with confidence that Biden was an individual who is deeply committed to the refugee crisis and would remain cognizant of ways in which the United States could increase its inclusivity and assistance to those in need. In a Thursday briefing, Saki said that Biden is, quote, somebody who believes that refugees, that immigrants are the heart and soul of our country, and they have been for decades. Democratic lawmakers have continued their criticism of Biden's blunder and have called in question the president's authority and the legitimacy of his promise to overturn Trump's old policies. Democratic Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey said that, quote, failing to issue a new determination undermines your declared purpose to reverse your predecessor's refugee policies. Democratic Representative Pramila Jayapal of Washington described the situation as, quote, disastrous and said that, quote, it is simply unacceptable and unconscionable that the Biden administration is not immediately repealing Donald Trump's harmful, xenophobic and racist refugee cap that cruelly restricts refugee admissions to a historically low level. While it's too early to confirm whether President Biden will live up to his promise of revising the refugee cap to overturn Trump's legacy, it has become clear that many lawmakers from his own party are experiencing frustration at the disparity between his campaign promises and administrative realities. On April 15th, the Biden administration revealed that someone close to Trump campaign officials provided campaign polling information to Russian intelligence services. According to the New York Times, this is the strongest evidence to date that Russian spies had penetrated the inner workings of the Trump campaign. Of course, the purpose of this under-the-table information sharing was to help the Kremlin undermine Trump's political opponents. 
Konstantin Kilimnik is the name of the Russian intelligence officer who had reportedly received sensitive polling information from Trump's former campaign official, Paul Manafort, according to a recent Treasury Department report. Quote, during the 2016 U.S. presidential election campaign, Kilimnik provided the Russian intelligence services with sensitive information on polling and campaign strategy. Additionally, Kilimnik sought to promote the narrative that Ukraine, not Russia, had interfered in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. As a result, Kilimnik is now actually wanted by the FBI, who's willing to pay $250,000 for information that will lead to his arrest. The Biden administration has imposed new sanctions on the Kremlin for their 2016 election meddling. According to the New York Times, quote, the sanctions included measures intended to make it more difficult for Russia to take part in the global economy if it continued its campaign of disruptive actions, including in cyberspace and on the border of Ukraine. And while these sanctions may not be severely harsh, and while Russia probably won't immediately feel the effects, that was supposedly intentional. If tensions escalate, White House officials now feel that they have the room to push back on a much larger scale. As for how far this will escalate tensions between the U.S. and Russia, Biden hopes that it isn't much. From his recent comments at the White House, he has made clear that, quote, the United States is not looking to kick off a cycle of escalation and conflict with Russia. We want a stable, predictable relationship. Whether or not this desired, stable, predictable relationship will be achieved soon, though, you'll have to stay tuned until the next episode to find out. On Friday, the Biden administration announced its decision to spend a staggering $1.7 billion to strengthen the United States' tracking of coronavirus variants. According to David Lim of Politico, the funds will go toward, quote, sequencing the genomes of coronavirus samples, creating six new genomic epidemiology centers, and building national bioinformatics infrastructure to unify how sequencing data is shared and analyzed. The first $240 million of the investment is scheduled to assist states in their genomic sequencing of variants. White House COVID-19 testing coordinator Carol Johnson expressed optimism over these new investments, stating that, quote, at this critical juncture in the pandemic, these new resources will help ensure states and the CDC have the support they need to fight back against dangerous variants and slow the spread of the virus. Andy Slavitt, the senior White House pandemic advisor, emphasized the importance of remaining one step ahead of the coronavirus variants and described the government's ability to identify variants promptly as, quote, vital. Slavitt also called attention to the Midwest, where variants have already begun to spread through local communities at an alarming rate and said the funds will, quote, give public health officials the chance to react more quickly to prevent and stop the spread. Another one of Slavit and the administration's concerns is that the United States is not only falling behind virus variants, but also their foreign competitors. Slavit said that, quote, despite having world-class researchers and dedicated state and local public health leaders, the United States had been, quote, sequencing only a small fragment of what other countries were when the transition of presidential powers occurred. It's interesting to consider the fact that the Biden administration is occupied in two races. The first is to control the coronavirus, and the other is to outpace foreign nations in the control and maintenance of the pandemic. With new variants continuing to emerge across the world, it's difficult to discern which governments will emerge at the top, but it certainly seems as though the Biden administration isn't afraid to invest a huge amount of money to ensure they have a shot at victory. Stay tuned next week for more updates on this front.
The child care industry has been one that was hit particularly hard as a result of the pandemic, and the Biden administration recently announced its $39 billion plan to resuscitate the heavily impacted sector. A portion of the American Rescue Plan, the funds will be distributed to various states to revamp their existing child care programs with an emphasis on supporting educators and providers. $24 billion will be allocated towards stabilization, while the remaining $15 billion will be designated for more impromptu funding for workers. In a recent statement, the White House commended the work of child care providers, describing them as, quote, on the front lines caring for the children of essential workers and support parents, especially mothers who want to get back to work. The White House additionally described its investment as, quote, a critical step to pave the way for a strong economic recovery and a more equitable future. Critics of this portion of the American Rescue Plan call attention to the fact that while the investments strengthen child care facilities, workers themselves are left out of the picture. According to Politico, advocates were underwhelmed that the plan failed to include workforce-specific policies and a measure to subsidize child care programs. Melissa Boteach, the vice president for child care at the National Women's Law Center, said that, quote, to build the child care system communities and families need, we have to take a comprehensive approach. While Boteach believes that the administration's first steps to revamp the child care industry are critical, she argues that these policies must go, quote, hand in hand with broader investments to increase access to high quality, affordable child care for families and compensate a workforce that has been paid poverty wages for far too long. Though the specifics of this child care plan have yet to be ironed out, it will be interesting to see whether such a large investment is successfully delegated and implemented in the communities who need it most. In other news, on late April 15th, a gunman entered a FedEx facility and killed nine people and injured seven more. The gunman had had a previous encounter with law enforcement, and his mother had even warned law enforcement officials of his instability and potential to lash out. He killed himself shortly after his initial attack. In response to this tragedy and many more recent gun violence ones, including former NFL player Philip Adams' shooting and killing of seven people in South Carolina, Biden has reaffirmed his stance on gun control. At a news conference with the Prime Minister of Japan, Biden made clear his intentions for stronger gun control measures, including universal background checks and an assault weapon ban. At the news conference, Biden said of the rampant mass shootings and gun violence in the U.S., quote, this has to end. He continued, quote, it is a national embarrassment. Who in God's name needs a weapon that can hold 100 rounds or 40 rounds or 20 rounds? It's just wrong, and I'm not going to give up until it's done. Will Republicans work with Democrats to pass stricter gun legislation? Can mass shootings become a part of our history rather than a threat to our present? Stay tuned to future episodes to find out. And with that, I'm Emmy. And I'm Fawaz. And this has been HPR Talks, The First 100. Until next time.